Were you blessed by that? If so, say amen. 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 We are so blessed here, uh, not only with our choir every week, uh, the brass when they're with us, but also, and many of you may know this, most if not all the arrangements the brass do for us, Rick arranges himself. Uh, and that, if, you, if you're not a musician, it's hard to communicate how much time and effort and work that is. And he does that for us on such a regular basis. We are so blessed to have Rick and all that he does for us here. We so appreciate him. Yeah. Our scripture this morning comes to us from Paul's letter to the Philippian church, chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Or as always, it's printed on the cover of your bulletin. As you are able, if you would, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Still, I think it necessary to send, you, to, send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was indeed so ill that he nearly died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Welcome him then in the Lord with all joy, and honor such people. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for those services that you could not give me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Now, dear Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Homecomings. Homecomings are joyful times, aren't they? Uh, times that just, when you're reunited with the people you love. Have you ever been away from family and friends for an extended period of time and had the opportunity to come home and celebrate with joy a homecoming. You remember where you had been, how long you'd been gone, all those details. For me, you won't be surprised to hear my best homecoming ever was in the spring of 2004. For from the spring of 2003 to the spring of 2004, I had been uh, in Baghdad primarily for the first year of the war in Iraq. Uh, Uncle Sam was nice enough to give me that opportunity to go and do that. Uh, and so I was away from Susan and the kids for that entire year. Some of you have had similar experiences. Some of you have been gone longer. And you know how difficult the separation is, but also how great the homecoming is. As I was coming home, we changed planes in Atlanta on our way to Fort Hood. Susan and the kids knew I would be there changing planes, and so they were there to meet me. I had called literally as I was getting on a plane on the other side of the world because the Army can always change their mind. 
And I really wasn't comfortable that I was coming home until I was about to get on the airplane. So only then did I call and say, okay, I'm getting on a plane, I'm coming home. So they were at Hartsfield as I was changing planes and I got to see them. That was the beginning of homecoming. As we drove into our subdivision uh, some days later, I didn't know that they were going to be there, but we had friends who had lined the street that we lived on with candles just to say, welcome home. Uh, Also, the first Sunday back in worship uh, with the church. I was serving at the time at Thomas Crossroads in Sharpsburg, Cornerstone Methodist Church. I was there when I got sent, uh, and I I came back to the same congregation. Now, it's a long story, but I had very little notice that I was going to go. I got a call one day, and from the day that I got the phone call that said, you're going, I had one Sunday in the church, and that was it. So not a lot of time to say goodbye, but the word had spread, and a lot of people came out. I thought very graciously and very generously to pray for me and to say goodbye. I was gone for a year. Came back, that first Sunday back, again, a wonderful crowd, a marvelous service. And at some point, an usher slipped up beside me and showed me a number on a sheet of paper. I said, what's this? He said, this was our worship attendance on your last Sunday here. And it was higher than average, and I thought, I thought it was a good crowd. And then he showed me another sheet of paper. I said, what's this? That number, the new number was slightly higher than the first number. I said, what's this? He said, that's the worship attendance today. I said, okay. And he said, I just wanted you to know that slightly more people are glad that you're home. (laughs) But anyway, it was a great day. Homecomings are great days. And this morning's scripture is about a homecoming of sorts. And it does make some sense because homecomings are joyous events, and we've been studying a lot about joy. If you have been here, you know that this is now the sixth week, I think fifth or sixth week, when we have been looking at Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, our New Testament book of Philippians. The title of the series has been Always Rejoicing because joy is such a prominent theme. Every week you can somewhere find the word joy, rejoice, rejoicing. Joy is all through this letter. And we've been talking about how God gave Paul reasons to be joyful even when Paul was in prison. Likewise, we've talked about how God gives us reasons to be joyful. This morning, it's about a homecoming of a young man named Epaphroditus. Now, we'll get to Epaphroditus in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to back up a few verses. Because the story that I read is really part of a longer passage that starts in verse 19. Verse 19 through verse 30 uh, is Paul saying that there are two men... He wants to send to Philippi. Verse 19 through 24, tell about Timothy. Now, Timothy will not be the first to return to Philippi, but Timothy, Paul says, will eventually come to Philippi. Paul is waiting for news. As I said, he's in prison, and he's hoping soon to hear news of his outcome and his fate, and there are really three choices. He could be left in prison. He could be released or he could be executed. And when he has news, he will send Timothy to the Philippians with news. In verse 23, he says, I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I, as I see 
how things go for me. So Timothy will go when there's news to tell. But not only will he take news, he will also serve to be a pastor to the Philippians. Maybe for a little while, waiting on Paul to return. But if Paul's fate is execution, Timothy will go and will help the church at Philippi with their grief at the loss. Because they do not know what the future holds. So Paul says, I will send Timothy. In verse 20 he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So Timothy loves the church at Philippi. He was actually with Paul when Paul founded the church at Philippi. Actually, Paul's ministry with the Philippians was the first time Timothy traveled with him. So Timothy knows the people in Philippi. They know Timothy. So he will go eventually. For Timothy, it will be a time of reunion with people he deeply cares about. So after talking about Timothy, Paul then moves on to talk about sending more immediately Epaphroditus. For Epaphroditus, it's not just a reunion with people that he cares about. It's a homecoming. Because Epaphroditus came from Philippi. New Testament scholars believe that he was probably converted to the faith from paganism. Maybe converted under Paul's ministry ten years earlier. It's possible that Paul first met Epaphroditus on his first visit to Philippi. We don't know that for sure. What we do know for sure is that the church at Philippi cared deeply for the Apostle Paul. They wanted to support him, to send him gifts to sustain him, to send someone that could help. They probably all wanted to go, but Rome was 800 miles from Philippi. It's hard to load up the church on the church bus and make that trek uh, when there are no roads and no bus. So they did the next best thing. They chose a representative. They gave gifts to deliver. But more than that, Epaphroditus was to have a ministry with Paul. Later on in the letter, in chapter 4, verse 18, Paul will say, I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. But Epaphroditus is more than a delivery boy for gifts. Hear these words again. Paul says that Epaphroditus was his, fellow, his brother, his co-worker, his fellow soldier, your messenger, and minister to my need. That's what Paul calls Epaphroditus. Your minister to my need. That was why the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to help Paul. But then he gets sick. Almost dies. The church at Philippi hears that he's sick. And they grow concerned. So Paul writes and says, yes, he was sick, but he's better. And I'm going to send him back to you now. Epaphroditus probably carried the letter that is our New Testament book of Philippians. So for Epaphroditus, this will be a homecoming. And homecomings are great times, joyous events. I was reminded of one this past week watching the baseball playoffs because somebody said that this is the 25th anniversary of the beginning of the Braves' long playoff run, right? Some of you were watching the Braves 25 years ago. 26 years ago, they were terrible, much like they are now. But 25 years ago, out of nowhere, they were wonderful. They won the division, they won the pennant, and they went to their first World Series ever, where they played the Minnesota Twins. One of the most exciting, uh, interesting World Series ever. Went to, went to a 
game seven that was scoreless through nine innings and went in extra innings, just a great series. Ultimately, Minnesota won. We should have won. In game two, Ron Gant got pulled off first base illegally, called out when he should have been called safe. So we wound up losing when we really should have won. So we should have won the series in five games, not lost it in seven. Not that I'm still hanging on to that or anything. Where was I? Oh, okay, anyway. Uh, but even after losing the series, when they came home, the city threw a big parade on Peachtree Street. Some of you may have been there. I was there. The whole team on floats coming down, and I think half a million people maybe turned out from the city uh, to welcome home the Braves, who have brought so much joy and so much excitement to the city that year. Homecomings are joy-filled times. We've just had one right here. Last month, Christian Taylor returned home. Month before that, you remember where he was? He was in Rio winning, winning gold medals at the Olympics. A Fayette County boy going to Rio winning gold medals. And as he was interviewed in Rio, they said, if you win, what do you want to do? He didn't say he wanted to go to Disney World. He said he wanted to come back to his home to Fayette County, and he did. He went to his elementary school, Birch Elementary School, named, as most of you know, for one of our own. Robert Birch was a member here. Many of you knew him. I knew him. Robert very graciously autographed books to all three of our children, uh, which we keep as treasures. Christian Taylor came home to Birch Elementary School and showed his gold medals and told these elementary students, I sat right where you are. From here, you can do anything. Went to Sandy Creek High School, where he went to high school. There they did this big assembly. The marching band played. Everybody gathered out to hear this gold medal Olympian talk about how they, from there, could do anything. Christian Taylor had this marvelous homecoming. Well-deserved homecoming. Homecomings are great days. Joy-filled days. Epaphroditus is about to be sent home. But Paul wants to make sure he gets the homecoming he deserves. He's concerned that maybe the church at Philippi feels like Epaphroditus let them down. He was, after all, to go and help Paul. But when he arrived, he got very sick. Maybe they thought he, he was supposed to be helpful, but he wound up being a burden. So Paul goes overboard to assure them how important Epaphroditus is. Did you hear? He says... He has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. He was indeed so ill that he nearly died. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also. So that I would not have one sorrow after another. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Welcome him then in the Lord. With all what? All joy. Welcome him with all joy. Paul wanted this to be a joyful homecoming. Fred Craddock in his commentary on the Philippians says, Paul wanted the Philippians to hold up the welcome home banner just a little bit higher. Wanted to appreciate all that he had done. You heard in verse 30, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life, to make up for those services that you could not give me. So Paul says, welcome him with joy, not simply because he's coming home, 
but because he put his life on the line for the work of Christ. He gave his all for the gospel. All his time, all his energy, all his effort. He gave it all in service to Christ. Paul says, for this reason, welcome him home with joy. And he says, honor such people. Did you catch that part? Honor such people. Who are such people? They are people like Epaphroditus. People who give their all for the cause of Christ. Now remember, Timothy was going to go back as a pastor. Epaphroditus was not going back as a pastor, but as a layperson. In the church, we believe, because Scripture tells us, we are all ministers. Every single one of us are ministers. Some of us are called to ordain ministry. We are called clergy. We're the folks up here with the black robes, Carolyn, me, Allison, most Sundays. Uh, we are the clergy. Everyone else we call the laity or lay people. I've explained the distinction to you before, right? Clergy, we are paid to be good. You all are good for nothing, right? Uh, Epaphroditus was like you, a layperson who gave his all for the gospel. Paul says, welcome him with joy for the work that he has done for Christ and honor such people, people who, like Epaphroditus, give their all. We are blessed to have people here who go about their jobs day by day, but also at work, at home, here in the community, give their all for the cause of Christ. It's amazing what you can do when you give your all for the cause of Christ. Years ago in Ohio, I heard a preacher from New York tell a story. He said his church was in New York, not in Manhattan, not in the touristy places, but in the places the tour guides tell you to avoid. He was in a very poor section of Queens. He said crime was high, violence was high, poverty was high, unemployment was high, pessimism was high. He said, that's where my church was. He said, one day, a member of his church, a layperson in his church, came up and said, preacher, have you noticed the poor people all around the church? And he said, I thought, you know I work here, right? I pass them every day. They hit me up every day that I come to the office. And every day I leave, there's somebody out there wanting a handout, wanting something. Oh, I'm fairly familiar with the poor people. And the layperson said, what are we doing as a church to help them? And the preacher kind of hemmed and hawed because he said the reality was the need was so overwhelming. We didn't even know where to start. And he said, why do you ask? He said, well, a lot of them are asking me for lunch money. I'm thinking, what if as a church we could like do them a free meal one day a week? Now this fellow had a dream, a vision from God. The preacher immediately kind of kicks into logistical mode and says, well, you know, there's a lot of things to think about. I mean, who's going to cook? Who's going to serve? How are we going to pay for this? What about security once we let these folks in the building? I mean, you can't just say we're going to do it. There's a lot of questions you need to think about. The fellow said, well, let me go pray about them. And the preacher said, I really thought that would be the last I'd hear about it because he would realize how overwhelming this was. But he said, a couple of weeks go by, and he comes back with a notebook. He says, okay, I've been sharing this dream, and people are kind of buying into this vision. Here's a list, this, here's a list of people that say 
they will do fundraisers so that we can buy food. Here's the list of people that will come in and set up. Here's the list of people that say they'll be coming and willing to cook. Here's the list of people that will serve. Here's the list of people that will serve as security at the doors to make sure that these people stay where we're feeding them and so that we know where everybody is. He said, I think I've answered all your questions. What do we do now? And the preacher thought, you know, I really wish you'd just leave that to those of us who work here. You know, God only gives those good ideas to us. But, uh, but anyway, we'll take it to the church council and see what they say. So the church council had a lot of the same concerns the preacher had had. But said, we'll tell you what. Let's try this for three months. We'll give this a 90-day trial. And the preacher said he thought, what a great idea. Because in three months, these people will burn slap out. They're going to realize what they've tried to take on and that it's just too much. We won't have to review this after 90 days. They'll have quit after 90 days. He said, that's what I thought, which shows you how much I knew. He said, we're now in our sixth year of feeding people, not one day a week, but seven. Because the more this guy did it, the more people caught the vision and wanted to be a part of it. And one day wasn't enough to give all the volunteers something to do and to spend all the money that they were raising to feed hungry people in our little community in Queens. So he said it went from a crazy idea to one day a week for 90 days. And we're now, for six years, we've been doing this seven days a week. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, Columbus Day, you name it, we're here. Because one man had a dream to be the hands and feet of Christ. Epaphroditus was a layperson who had a call in his life. His church said, will you go and help Paul? He gave his, almost gave his life literally, almost died. We don't know the nature of his illness, but Paul does say it was related to his work. He was willing to give all he had for the cause of Christ. Therefore, Paul says, welcome him with joy and honor such people. We are blessed in our congregation to have people who go the second, third, fourth, and fifth mile in service to the cause of Christ. Maybe it's in teaching a Sunday school class. Maybe it's in doing something within the walls of the church. Maybe it's an outreach ministry beyond the walls of the church. People that go to work every day but still find the time and the energy and the resources and the passion to get involved in some area of ministry. Paul says, those people, like Epaphroditus, bring us joy and should be honored. So over the course of the next week, look around your sisters and brothers. When you see those people that are giving all they have for the work of the gospel, honor them. Tell them that through them, through them, God is giving you joy. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would put a burning desire in all of our hearts to do all we have for the cause of Christ. As we seek to follow Jesus, Lord, let us do so with all we have, all we are. And Lord, let us not forget to turn to our sisters and brothers, serving you in this place and in this community, and remind us to say thank you. We honor you. You bring to us the joy of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.